Hello, my name is Sarah and I am your chakra coach. On this podcast, we'll be exploring how the chakra system can help guide you to grow your emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual wellness, leading you closer to your highest self. Hi there. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for listening. I have a really special conversation to share with you today that really has hit home for me this week. I recorded it a few weeks ago, but the message of it is really strong in my current situation. We're talking about spiritual freedom, what that is, what it can mean, what it can look like, and a lot of the conversation is around being able to have inner peace, joy, and connection, even when the world is falling down around you, even when it feels like your insides are crumbling. My family suffered a terrible loss this week, the death of a beloved family member. And like everyone who has experienced intense grief like this, you know that peace and joy feel a million miles away, like you'll you'll never be able to find them again. But as I was listening again to this conversation with Swami Nityananda, I started to see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's really far away right now, it seems, but at least I know it's there. There is light. We also talk about the universal energy field that we're all a part of, and that was comforting to me as well. Definitely not in a, at least they're in a better place now way, because I'm just, I'm not in a space where that's helpful, but in the knowing that all our souls exist forever in the energy field, all our consciousness exists, even when I feel disconnected from it. Swami Nityananda's words started to give me a path back. It's a long path for me and my whole family, but we can go together. And I invite you to listen to her and see if you can find your path as well. A little about the Swami. Swami Nityananda has dedicated her life and career to helping humans live in joy and freedom. She has spoken to audiences in 10 countries and been a featured speaker on NPR and Radio Ireland, among other platforms and podcasts. Her work has been supported by Fulbright Grants, the National Endowment for the Humanities, and the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation, and she's received other national and international awards. She was consecrated as a Swami by Swami Chakrananda in 2014. She is the spiritual teacher and spiritual leader at Awake Yoga Meditation, a meditation community located physically in Baltimore that reaches listeners in many geographical areas. Her meditations help audiences feel calm and exuberant and live their fullest lives, strengthening self-awareness, relationships, abundance, and well-being on every level. She teaches non-dual awareness and the yogic tradition in ways that are accessible to contemporary audiences like us. A reader described her book, Awake, the Yoga of Pure Awareness, saying, This is one of those rare books that is absolutely life-changing if you follow the principles within it. As 
Juniper Ellis, her non-Swami name, she is a professor of English at Loyola University, Maryland. She earned her PhD at Vanderbilt University. She's published a book, Tattooing the World, with Columbia University Press. Her teachings focus on liberation and hope. We talk about how to visit her meditation community both in person and virtually at the end of the episode. So if you're looking for more guidance, Awake Yoga Meditation has lots of options. The vast majority of them are free. Of course, all the links to her social media channels are in the show notes, as are mine. So you are always welcome to join us there. Mostly, though, I hope you listen to this conversation with a heart ready for healing. Swami Nityananda, thank you so much for being here. It is such a pleasure to see your face and have you on the show. I'm really excited to talk with you. Thank you. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. So today we're talking about some topics that I I feel like can be kind of complicated to understand. So I'm really hoping you'll be able to uh, break them down for us just in ways that are a little bit easier for a brain to wrap its head around. So we're going to start by talking about non-dual awareness, which as I'll tell you what I think it is, and then you tell me if I'm right. So non-dual awareness is sort of the, the sense of no separation between object and viewer. So that it's literally the embodiment of what people say, oh, we're all one. But this is truly the deepest meaning of that. Tell me more. That is such a beautiful description. And one of the ways that I think every human is connected with non-dual awareness always is in those moments of spontaneous freedom and spontaneous joy. And so as you were speaking, a couple images came into my mind. One was if you've ever seen a little child, like say maybe a four-year-old arrive at the edge of a park and they see the expanse of park in front of them and they just run into the park screaming with joy. And so there's no separation between them and the park. And there's just this natural, spontaneous burst of joy. And then the other image that came to me is if you've ever seen a parent, like a loving parent who just sort of like swoops down and scoops up their child in their arms. And you also see this with humans who love animals. And so it could be like a pet, just like that swooping down and scooping up the loved one in your arms. And there's no separateness. There's just this really pure and joyful and it's it's a natural outpouring, an outreaching, a sharing, a brightness, a freedom, a, a spaciousness, an expansiveness. And I think so. I think our premise is that actually every single human is always connected to this awareness and this freedom within ourselves. Even as you were saying those images, yeah, I can absolutely picture a four-year-old on the edge of a park, right? And I can I can feel it sort of a second hand almost like almost like I am also the child and I am also the park right I think we all get that sensation or when you come home from a trip and your dog runs to the door and I mean just everything that you're saying creates a feeling in my my body and my heart of just almost expansiveness right like it's a growth to include more things so it's a oneness and the sense is that it isn't just no separation between you and me, no separation between the child and the park or me and my dog or a parent and child. It's that there is no separation between 
any of us. So you and me and you listening right now and also your neighbor and your coworker and even your ex-husband that you don't get great along with. Well, there is no, there actually is no separation. Is that the premise of non-dual awareness? So there is the reality of non-separateness and you could feel it as you were talking, as you were describing. You, you also could put it that we're all part of a field of vast energy and we're all connected. So each of us has our own bodily container. Like you have the role that you are playing in the world that only you can play in the world. And God bless your ex-spouse has the role that only they can play in the world. And so when you have sort of that clarity and you understand there's actually nothing wrong with the role that your ex-spouse is playing in the world, then you can allow them to be and you can have a sort of clarity and a feeling of freedom, allowing them to be on their journey, allowing yourself to be on your journey. And so there's also a deep healing and a deep joy to this realization as well. So the concept of non-dual awareness doesn't uh, eliminate the boundaries of this container, right? I still have autonomy in my own self. Just because we are part of this large field doesn't mean that we don't have uh, sort of rights to our bodies and rights to our spaces. How do you sort of negotiate that? So that would be negotiated by each individual. And you're absolutely right. So you must actually faithfully and honorably and nobly fulfill the role that only you can fulfill. And so to do that from awareness of the way we are all interconnected brings an incredible renewal of energy and resourcefulness and connectedness so that we will with much greater freedom and joy and expansiveness play the role that only we can play. And you're absolutely right. We each are here to honor the integrity of this container, this awareness, this body, this heart, this mind, even as we also honor the integrity of all the other bodies and containers and minds and hearts as well. I think that's that's really important because I think sometimes I hear this, we are all one spoken into the world as if we can't advocate for ourselves or advocate for others because we're all one, we're all the same. And I, I think I'm understanding what you're saying is that because we each have individual roles to play, yes, and we are all part of this broader uh, universe, this energy field, but we have specific things that we do in the energy field. I don't know. I, I think when we spoke before, I told you I struggle with this. And so I'm yeah. really looking for some clarity. Yeah. So I could give you a practical example that came Please. into my awareness as you were speaking. And so one example, and this is something that someone asked years ago, they love animals. And so it really hurts their compassionate awareness when they become aware of animals being harmed. And they said, does that mean that I can't speak up on behalf of animals? And I said, absolutely not. Like you must, if that is your consciousness, if that is your commitment and your caring, your awareness and your compassion, you must, you won't be able to stand it if you try to stay silent. But the key is to connect with that vast expansive awareness and to have the sort of clarity that you can with non-attachment faithfully and joyfully with love and with clarity in your heart speak on behalf of animals. And what happens then is I'm not um, engaging from a limited level 
against a limitive level, which would increase the reactivity. It would increase the sort of um, the negativity, potentially. It would increase what I didn't want to energize. So instead, if I connect with the vast expansive awareness first and then speak on behalf of the animals, I'm not speaking from ego to ego. I'm speaking from light to light. And when I speak from light to light, openness and possibility and healing and solutions can arise that otherwise are not possible. If I'm coming from a place of anger and I'm responding to anger, that just creates more anger. Whereas if I'm coming from a place of light and healing, reaching to light and healing, that brings more light and healing. It's like that old saying about how ironic it is when people fight for peace, that it's it's coming from the ego as opposed to tapping into this field, this awareness of the greater good, the greater self, the highest good. I think there's a lot of different ways that people talk about it, but this allows us to approach one another on an individual level. And I would imagine even on a systemic level from a place of compassion, because we understand that maybe everybody really is is doing the best they can in their in their bodies in their containers and if we try to connect if we try to uh, uh, attack each other we don't ever get to the the positive light solution that's very well said okay all right yeah. getting the hang of it so it literally is when we talk about your your teachings an awareness of the non-duality meaning there is not two it is non-dual there is one and what we're looking for through these meditations and these teaching is the awareness and i imagine not just like the intellectual yeah the intellectualization like i can think in my head we are all one but the the experience of knowing it on more of a uh, maybe instinctive or heart level. Can you tell me more about how we become aware? I believe, and I think that I can see this, you know, as we're speaking, that each of us has an inbuilt bodily awareness that is continually connected to this field of universal energy. And so being present in our bodies is continually giving us cues it's continually giving us feedback. And so just imagine, I'm, I'm speaking to all listeners, but we all have had that experience of we walk into a room and you can tell what's been going on in the room, even if a word is not spoken by the people who are in the room. You can tell if harmony is present, you can tell if a conflict has been present, the energy is in the room. And so each of us has built in compasses and our bodily awareness is with us always. And so if we are present and inhabiting our bodily awareness, we're connected to that, we're tuned into those cues. Every time before I speak, even before I speak, I will have instant feedback and instant awareness of whether what I hope to be expressing is coming across very clearly or whether I can fine tune it or I can add humor or I could, come up with a different angle or a different image. And so this is, it's always available. It's always present, it's in our bodies. And then you were also alluding to our hearts. And so completely agree with that. And so whatever metaphor you wanna use, our emotional intelligence is one way of putting this. Humans have this built-in compass 
where we can, if we're tuning in, we're listening to this built-in compass of our heart energy, we can tell, is what I am saying helping me expand or is it helping me contract? And generally, if what I am saying is helping me expand, that means I am not coming from ego and I am not reaching ego as well. And so we can continually open to this energy of compassion, this energy of insight, this energy of awareness, using our body as a register that helps us navigate, using our heart and our emotional intelligence as an indicator, almost like a GPS system that -hmm. helps us navigate our conversations, our relationships, our tasks, our workplaces, everywhere that we are in our world. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. One thing I've been working on myself this year is something that I've been referring to as my authentic self, meaning like, who am I without the trappings that have been put on me? Um, And I switched to that language from highest self because that felt like reaching when this to me feels more like it's already in me. I'm just trying to pull away sort of the, the, the junk that's been put on me in my years on the planet. And to me, that feels kind of like what you're saying, like if I'm able to tap into what I'm currently terming my authentic self, that's the space where I'll find my innate connection to everyone else. Is that, I think that's maybe just another way to say it. What do you think about that? I love what you said. It's very sincere. It's spiritually honest. And I love what you say, like it doesn't have to be complicated and it's with us. It's with us already. And so I agree with you very much. There is a directness and an ease when we are in contact, whatever your words for it are, it can be called the truth self or the higher self or your heart, whatever your word for it is, the authentic self. It's very simple and it's already present. It's very non-complicated. So I think our human mind likes to create complexity and likes to say, no, it's complicated. It's not here already, but it actually is here already. And so living from that with honesty and with courage, it's available. It's with us right now. Is that what you would consider spiritual freedom, the living from that place? Is that what you define as spiritual freedom or is that something different? That's a really good question. So when you talk about spiritual freedom, what comes to me is there's there's like a lightness and a brightness. It's a very felt awareness within ourselves. So within the body, within the heart, within our awareness, there's a sense of joy and a sense of willingness and a sense of spontaneity. And so it's actually able to be present right in the midst of our daily lives, right where we are with our tasks and our relationships and our kids and our parents and our neighbors and wherever we find ourselves, whatever we're aware of, that energy of spiritual freedom is available. And it's kind of like that bright, fresh, spontaneous, alive, when we feel just at ease within ourselves, poised within ourselves, calm, steady, present, balanced within ourselves. How do we feel like that when we feel like the world is coming to pieces around us? I mean, that can, you know, 
We can have personal problems. We can have work problems. There are societal problems. How can we feel that spiritual freedom when it feels like sometimes your very insides are crumbling? Absolutely. And I just, I mean, as you were speaking, my whole heart is open with so much respect and so much caring and compassion and sympathy because being in a human body, being in a human heart, being in a human mind challenges us to our core to draw forth those spiritual resources, which are always available within ourselves. And so on the one hand, the first thing that I want to just say is I'm not attempting to minimize or be glib or gloss over how absolutely challenging it can be to be a human. And so for every listener to just be compassionate and open-hearted and amazed at how incredible you are to be here in a human body, to be here in a human heart, in a human mind, you are incredible, absolutely incredible. And it is a truth that is verifiable by each individual that spiritual freedom is always available inwardly independent of human circumstances. And so what the yogis tell us, and this is something they tell us not to take on their word, but they say, put it to the test. They say, put this into practice and feel this directly for yourself. Feel directly for yourself that it is possible to have an open heart and a feeling of forgiveness, a feeling of self-acceptance, a feeling of allowing all things to be as they are, even as we are waiting for the test results, opening that really challenging piece of mail, preparing ourselves to have that really difficult conversation, whether it's at work or whether it's with a partner or a friend or a parent or a child, it is possible to come from a place of clarity and peace and kindness and wisdom that is vaster than the human. And so each of us has access to this. Each of us knows how it feels when we are in contact with that energy that is beyond what the separate individual human container can conceive of as being possible. It gets named different things. I mean, this is the piece that passes understanding. That's one way that it gets named. This is the, the piece, the shanti, 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 with a piece that is possible on all levels of the body, the heart, the mind, and the life. And it is the piece that is here, it is present, and it is available regardless of how we are feeling. So even if we're feeling like you said, things are crumbling and things are falling apart on a physical level or an emotional level or a mental level or in our world and what we are perceiving. We always can access that peace. And then in that peace, we connect with wisdom and we connect with kindness, which allows us to bring to life what otherwise would be impossible. And so just to acknowledge humans very, very frequently do what seems to be impossible. And the way that we do this is by tapping into this freedom, spaciousness, peace, this energy of truth, the authentic self, whatever your word for it be, it is with each of us. And so each of us is continually developing our muscles and our agility and our ability to expand beyond what the human eyes are capable of seeing in order to connect. You could also call it like a field of possibility, which is always present and available as well. And I would venture to say that everyone 
listening has done something that they themselves believed to be impossible until it was done, right? And like what you said, every human does impossible things. And that is that is true. And sometimes I think what's impossible for me is not impossible for you, is not impossible for someone else. But this field of possibilities allows us to realize that impossible is maybe not so as impossible as we as we once thought. Uh, I do have a question about we're we're talking a lot about sort of feeling in our our bodies and connecting to that bodily feedback. And I think a lot of people um, in the world, a lot of human beings, a lot of women in particularly and women identifying people don't always feel safe in their bodies because to a certain extent we're we're frequently told um, that our bodies are wrong. They're too big. They're too small. They're too this. They're too that. And so our bodies become sort of this place that we we shut down or ignore. Um, and so I'm I'm curious, how do you approach it when people truly don't feel safe living in their bodies? It's an extremely good question. And I don't want to minimize how painful it is that we have helped create a culture in which women and gender nonconforming and some men don't feel safe. And so I just want to acknowledge that is a deeply challenging part of being human. From a yogic perspective, the supreme, the divine, this energy of all that is, whatever be your word for it, it is universal. And what that means is that the divine, the supreme, this energy of pure awareness and absolute kindness is equally present in female bodies, in male bodies, in gender nonconforming bodies. And so each body, when we have that awareness, is to be treated with respect. And so for each of us, if we are in a female body or a gender nonconforming body or a male body, we are invited to treat our own body with respect, to greet our body with respect, and to understand that doing so may involve a process of healing. Mm -hmm. Because if we have not been able to greet our body with respect, this may take some time to embrace our body with respect and to establish that feeling of respect in our body and a feeling of trust in our body, being able to trust our body as a precious, amazing instrument that comes to us from the divine or from this energy of life itself, whatever be your word for it. Only when we are able to respect our own bodies are we also able to respect all other bodies. And so as we establish ourselves in that feeling of trust and respect in our own body and the ability to trust and respect others in other bodies, we naturally will be able to tune into a feeling of safety and security within ourselves, a feeling of being able to trust the energy within our own bodies, the feedback, the feelings within our own bodies. And on that basis, we will also be able to interact with other human bodies in entirely new ways. And so, you know, a relationship of love, a relationship of trust would unfold and unfurl in a deeper way when we're greeting ourselves with this energy of respect and trust and greeting others with this energy of respect and trust. The other thing that I would say is just truly, truly, believe in your capacity to heal. Mm -hmm. So our relationships to our bodies and our emotions and our thinking patterns, they are energetic, which means we can shift them. 
we can change them. That's right. And so believe in your ability to heal whatever you have experienced in your body, however challenging it has been, believe in your ability to feel whole and vibrant and healthy and glorious and bright in your own body. I have yet to meet anyone who is not capable of healing. Um, and it sometimes is a enormously painful process um, and a long process sometimes. Uh, but I think you're right. Like we all do have that innate capacity for healing and it's just a journey, right? It's a practice. Do you have any suggestions? How do you approach healing so that we can start to tap into this, this awareness? So I think one of the most freeing realizations is that each of us within our own bodies, within our own emotions, within our own thinking patterns has absolute ability to choose where do I focus and direct my attention? Am I choosing to focus and direct my attention toward what is healing and strengthening and brightening and uplifting for myself and for others? Or am I choosing to focus my attention on what keeps the old energy patterns in my energy field? So as soon as I realize this, I have the freedom continually. If I have a wave of old energy, like a wave of shame or a wave of blame or hurt or pain or guilt or judgment, whether directed toward myself or another, I have instant awareness that I can shift my energy. I can shift my attention. I can shift my focus toward what would be more healing, toward what would be more freeing. The people who count how many thoughts humans think a day. The, the number varies, but it sometimes is mentioned that it's 40,000, 50,000, 60,000. So gradually as you shift your thinking, we do lay down new pathways in our own brain. And so magnetic resonance imaging, functional magnetic resonance imaging has the ability to look at this, to change. Um, we have the ability to change the pathways in our own brain every time we choose to redirect our focus, our energy, our attention. So yoga is a powerful healing modality. Um, meditation is a powerful healing modality. And simply being willing to refocus and reframe and redirect towards what is more healing gradually creates new pathways in our own brains. And so as soon as we realize that, then we are, what's the right way to put it? I mean, we're just joyful and we're strengthened and we're empowered in choosing to create what I would like to create in my body, in my feelings, in my thinking. And then as we shift our inner reality, gradually our outer experiences as we interact with other humans, as we interact with the world also shifts as well. And this, this isn't just positive thinking, like just trying to be happy all the time. You're, you're really talking about just an awareness of those 50, 60, 1,000 thoughts, whatever it is, and thinking that is not a thought that I choose to think anymore. And I think you're right. Like there's a lot of, when you realize you do have some control, like a thought can pop up and you can kind of stop. And I, I sometimes have a conversation with myself and I'll say, oh, okay, well, thank you. Thank you, younger self for your feedback. We're doing something else now, but I appreciate you. Um, and we're safe now. We're going to be okay. Right. So like, that's like, I know that sounds always a little silly, I think, but you know, it's just a little conversation that I have with myself. And so it, but it isn't like trying to 
push it down or pretend it didn't happen or ignore it. It's really acknowledging it, accepting it and giving it the attention. Because sometimes I think those thoughts, those old thoughts are screaming for your attention because they're trying to keep you safe. So if you can catch them and soothe them, I say like it's a whole nother person, but kind of more acknowledgement and more acceptance of the thought, um, that allows me to put my attention on it, like you were saying. Would you, but it, it's not just like, nope, I'm happy all the time. Everything is great. Right. And so I want to just give you great credit because what you just demonstrated is spiritual honesty and spiritual courage. And so it is being established in who you are right now and in the awareness that you have right now and compassionately reaching out to any aspect of yourself that doesn't yet feel fully included in that wholeness, that awareness that you have at present. And you're absolutely right. It can't involve repression or suppression because then you know how that works. Like the thoughts will just come back. It just, and it just pops up in a different way, yeah. right? There, you can't really, it's like one of those whack-a-mole games yes. where you push it down, it just pops yes. up someplace else. Yeah, you'd spend your whole life doing that. And exactly. believe me, I tried. <laughs> I thought, yes. I've, I've tried that method, didn't work so well. Um, so you mentioned yoga and meditation as being both very great healing modalities. I've been talking a lot lately on the show about yoga is not just a physical practice. Like we think about going to yoga class. So I think we know, and that not that that's not a healing modality, it is. But would you expand a little bit for us on the type of yoga that you practice both personally and in your, your organization? Yeah, absolutely. So I serve as spiritual teacher at a meditation community in Baltimore geographically, and the name is Awake Yoga Meditation. So anyone who's in the Baltimore area, you're welcome to come meditate with us in person. Anyone who's online anywhere is welcome to come meditate with us online. And what we do is we teach yoga philosophy. So we love the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita and the Upanishads and the Yoga Sutras, which are um, very popular in yoga studios in this particular country. And we work directly with um, Kriya Yoga, which is a form of meditation that is profoundly healing. And it's very potent, but one of the things that I really love about it is it's also very integratable into daily life. So householders practice this meditation in the midst of their family, in the midst of their working lives, just right where they are, wherever they are. And so the yoga that we are talking about is sort of like what we, you and I, have been talking about this whole conversation. It's how do I live in joy and freedom right in the midst of my daily life? And it's about how do I allow myself to be my best self, my true self, my authentic self, right where I am. And so as you were talking, like how do I help myself, whatever it is that I'm experiencing humanly, like if I'm living in joy and freedom, excellent. <laughs> how can I work from that? to share compassion and insights and caring and awareness wherever I am, whatever my tasks and my work is. If I am a human who is experiencing emotional challenge or physical challenge or mental challenge or relationship challenge, whatever the challenge is, how can I work with that from a standpoint of larger perspective and awareness? So I'm healing any sense of separateness that I might have and that that you know is in play if fear 
is in play or if any sort of judgment of oneself or others is in play. That's just an indicator. I'm being invited to expand. I'm being invited to connect with my vaster awareness. I think that's a very important uh, distinction. It's not exactly the right word, but something to to recognize in ourselves when we do experience fear or despair or uh, anything like that. It it is an invitation to grow into it, not not a not a chance to judge yourself or think, "Gosh, I shouldn't feel this way" or "This is bad." Right? It's an invitation to to actually grow to, I think, hold on to more humanity as opposed to judge those parts of our humanity. And I think that's a really important part of any yoga practice. I think, so thank you for bringing that up. I think that was really, really important. So as you know, this show is called Your Chakra Coach. So how does this work with um, the chakras? How does it I mean, it's all sort of connected, but can you give us a couple examples of how you and your practices speak to that energy system? Yes, absolutely. So one of the things that we do when we begin our meditations is we connect with our feet on the earth. And so that's just such a simple practice, but it's very accessible. It's present to everyone, wherever you are, to simply connect with your feet on the earth. There's a deep calming the word that we currently use in today's parlance is there's a very grounding feeling so that we can start to feel very steady. We can start to feel poised and balanced within ourselves. That same poise and balance is present at the base of the spine, at the root chakra. And so that is the next place that we connect with energetically is at the base of the spine. And so when we connect at the base of the spine with poise and a feeling of steadiness and a feeling of ease, what happens is we also connect with even-mindedness within ourselves. So kind of non-emotional reactivity within ourselves. We connect with a softening. If we have had any sort of uh, barriers that we've been putting up between ourselves and others that are fear-based. Mm. So we'll have clarity and we'll have awareness. We'll still have awareness of everything that we perceive with our human eyes. But we'll also have an awareness of the deeper energetic awareness um, that is in play as well. And so we might have the same conversation at work, but the energy that shares through us will be sharing from this peace, from this poise, from this balance. And so we find ourselves less shaken, less able to be taken out of sync or off balance more able to be present and responsive in say that you walk into a room and there's really challenging energy in the room because there's like a controversial decision that has to be made in your workplace. If you're coming from that, that place of steadiness and balance and poise, you're aware beneath your feet at the base of your spine of your interconnectedness always with everyone. And so you're not coming from a place of fear. And what happens then is, very often it happens spontaneously. So this doesn't have to be a conscious sort of deciding, but spontaneously you will find yourself connecting with decisions that include what is highest and best from your perspective and also effortlessly include what is highest and best from the other's perspectives as well. And so there's this way that there's just an expansive 
arising of possibility and solution that otherwise would not happen. So that's an example working with the root chakra. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's so practical, right? It's like you do this work that feels, you know, it can feel sort of out there, like it's not mainstream, right? People aren't always understanding of that kind of thing, but it's very practical and we can bring it into our, our workplaces and our relationships. And I really, really liked what you said, sort of, I guess this is my interpretation of it, but that sort of that safety and that grounding comes from within. It comes from that steadiness and then we don't we don't have to rely on our circumstances to be steady because we ourselves are steady. And I have found that people that are experiencing that groundedness within them are very calming in a room. And they're the kind of person that brings the energy to where it needs to be for solutions to uh, whatever the problem is, again, work, relationship, whatever it is. Um, so that is, I think that's really interesting. And I think that finding, to me, finding that strength and having that inner sort of steadiness would almost be spiritual freedom in a lot of ways. I very much agree with you. And I really love what you said about the, as you were talking, what came into my awareness was just for each of us, the invitation, you could, you could take it as like, this is my invitation for today, filled with joy and good humor. Can I always be the calmest person in the room? And just do all that to me. <laughs> there, there you go. Here's a challenge for the week, everybody. Be the calmest person in the room. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? Well, honestly, like, can you imagine? I was saying, can you imagine like a joke? But now that I'm imagining it, like, what if everybody set out to be the calmest person in the room and everybody thought I'm going to, I'm going to be so safe in my body that everyone else will have the space to feel safe in their body too. What if the whole world did that? Oh my gosh. I feel like it would be a very different place to live. Okay. So new mission new mission. Everybody is the calmest, safest person in the room. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, so I think that's fantastic. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about your meditation practice? I mean, so you are part of a, a lineage. Yeah. Uh, and I would love, I would love to just know a little bit more about that. How does that work? Because I, I feel like a lot of our Western practices don't have necessarily a lineage or we do, but we call it something else. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think the the lineage that I'm part of that goes back the farthest, um, my name is Swami Nityananda, and that was the name given to me my, by my meditation teacher. My meditation teacher was Swami Shankarananda, and he was the founder of our meditation community, Awake Yoga Meditation. So the lineage that I'm part of that goes back the farthest is the lineage that goes back to the founding of the Swami order. So I was consecrated as a Swami, and that goes back to Adi Shankar, who helped codify the yogic teachings of non-dual awareness. So he helped sort of bring together the Upanishads and some of these teachings that we've been talking about, which are all about how can humans live in joy and freedom in the midst of daily life. And then in about the mid 19th century, there was a teacher called Lahiri. Lahiri was a householder. So he was married, he worked in the government, um, and he worked in the forestry department. He was an accountant. He had five kids and he was in his thirties. He had traveled to the mountains and 
he heard his name being called and he met his teacher, Babaji, who initiated him into the practices of Kriya. And Lahiri's request after meeting his teacher and being initiated into the practices of Kriya was, can I stay here with you? Can I stay here with you in the mountains? And Babaji said, no, you have to go back to the world and you have to bring these practices to the world. And so Lahiri, out of compassion, asked that he would be able to initiate householders. So people who are working, they have families, they're just right in the midst of daily life. And based on Lahiri's compassionate request, his teacher gave him permission to teach Kriya to sincere students who were householders, who were living right in the midst of daily life. So Lahiri taught a teacher who became known as Swami Sri Yukteswar, who taught a teacher who became known as Paramahansa Yogananda. And then he- And we all know who that is. <laughs> we know, yeah, we've probably heard of that. And then um, Swami Premananda was a student of Paramahansa Yogananda. And Swami Premananda was the teacher of Swami Shankarananda, who was my teacher. Was so that's, teacher. that's my lineage, yeah. That's, I think it's beautiful to be able to trace sort of your heritage in a way back like that. Um, I, th I just think it's it's very interesting and it comes down in lore and story and uh, so two just quick points of clarification because I said and we all know who that is as if every single person does autobiography of a yogi it's a beautiful book if you haven't read it y'all go ahead it's kind of long but it's it's a it's a story about how all of this came into being and how um, a, a lot about how yoga kriya yoga was brought to the United States and it's a fascinating story because it's not what you think um, and I just I loved my experience reading that book even if it did take me quite a while so I said and we all know who that is and that that's who that is and also this word that you've been using householder that's like you and me listener we're just we're people living our lives it's the yogic term for people who are just doing their thing you got a job you got a family you're not the person living in the cave, which I think we all feel like we have to go be if we're truly going to follow a spiritual path. But I want to be sure we all recognize that in the yogic tradition, there's a, a big space, a big opportunity for people going about day-to-day -day stuff to have the spiritual experiences. They're not limited to gurus living in the mountains or sitting in a cave or all of the things that uh, I think the trappings that we we associate with all of that so I just wanted to I think you did a great job explaining that I just really wanted to make sure everybody understands that this is truly for everyone the idea is and correct me if I'm wrong please the idea is to have this spiritual freedom this non-dual awareness in every moment of every day washing dishes walking the dog playing with your kids taking the bus that we have that's the spiritual freedom i don't know i keep saying that like this is it this is it but maybe it's just all of these things and having that gives us room to live in joy and compassion and so when we do it confront controversy or conflict we have the tools within us to do that instead of coming at it from anger or fear or the desire to run away or people pleasing, any of those things, we have the strength and the steadiness in us that is the spiritual freedom that is available to all householders. How'd I wrap that up? 
That was brilliantly <laughs> articulated. Yes, absolutely. And just with so much joy that the yogic teachings are so accessible, they're so practical, they're so available, and they help so much in daily life. If you were going to offer something that we could do today, you know, if a listener today is like, yes, that that is what I want. That's what I, what would you offer as like, here's a, here's a today move for you. One thing, I mean, the very first thing that came into my awareness is just that the breath is one of the most direct routes to connect with this feeling of spaciousness, expansiveness, freedom. And so if you would love to increase a feeling of spaciousness, expansiveness, and freedom within yourself, naturally joy will arise as that spontaneous expansion and freedom is there within you. Just, I choose to breathe a breath of freedom into my heart. I choose to breathe a breath of freedom into my body. I choose to breathe a breath of freedom into myself from the crown of my head all the way down my core, down my legs, out my feet, into the core of the earth. I allow myself to be this moving breath of freedom right in the midst of my daily life. And this is so accessible and it can be something if you're at work or you're driving, you can connect with it instantly. Your eyes don't have to close. They can close if you can safely close your eyes to connect with this breath of freedom. But if you're driving, please keep your eyes open right. and connect with the breath of freedom. But at a workplace, you can instantly, even in the midst of a meeting, connect with the breath of freedom. Or you can step around the corner, get a drink of water, connect with the breath of freedom, and then come back into whatever the task or the conversation or the meeting or the encounter is. And it'll be this freedom, this spaciousness, this expansiveness that is sharing with you and through you and as you. So that's one of the most direct ways. And so simple and so practical. Would you also recommend that when we start to become aware of those thoughts that we don't want to have anymore, is that a good way to acknowledge them, to say, uh, to, to notice the thought and then I choose to breathe this breath of freedom I choose to breathe this breath freeing me from this thought or I mean, does that is that a, a useful thing to do in that situation? Absolutely. And depending upon what the thought is. So I hear young people, for example, talk about intrusive thoughts, like thoughts that they would prefer not to be engaging that are just not super pleasant. And so right. in that case, you actually could breathe. I breathe a breath of courage. I breathe a breath of strength. I breathe a breath of awareness. I breathe a breath of victory. I breathe a breath of wholeness into this. And that particular sequence right there, like you can kind of feel it as you go. You can breathe into yourself, whatever would be a helpful counterpose, counterpoise to whatever the experience you're having is. But if if the thoughts are intrusive, they're, they're sort of like not bringing your energy up, but instead they're bringing your energy down to connect with that sort of sense of courage, that sense of strength, that sense of victory, that sense of the light that is within you is actually not strained ever, independent of how the human self feels. The light that is within you is always overflowing. It's warm, it's bright, it's strong, it's steady. And so you're connecting with that and then with compassionate awareness, 
directing that wholeness to wherever in yourself would benefit from that wholeness. It sounds like we could really just use that in any way. Compassion, I breathe the breath of compassion or freedom or courage, all of those things that you said. And there's a lot of uh, choice. Like you can, you can really think about what would work for you in that moment. I breathe a breath of light. I breathe a breath for me of authenticity. I breathe a breath of love or anything that we feel that we need in the moment. And it doesn't have to be some sort of ritual. I mean, we can make it a little mini ritual for ourselves, but it doesn't have to be something that comes from someone else. It can be spontaneous and we can be continually guided by our own bodily awareness and our own emotional intelligence. Absolutely. And we also, so if we're ever in one of those human conversations where I, I would say this can happen, especially if, so for example, you are a parent and you have a child who's moving through something challenging, whatever age they are, you know, they could be like a toddler, but they also could be a teenager. And so there can be energy patterns that come into play interpersonally. And so rather than choosing to continually engage the same energy patterns, you can breathe a breath of freedom and spaciousness and newness and spontaneity and aliveness into that encounter. And you'll see your child in a completely fresh way with completely fresh eyes. And so you'll be meeting them in a new way and they will notice the difference. And that's what we talk about when we're changing our thoughts and is, is meeting ourselves in a new way. So that's, it's sort of the, the same idea, right? We are looking to, to find that breath of newness, which I think would be really beneficial, you know, oh, I have this coworker who's constantly on my nerves. Today, I breathe a breath of newness. I breathe a breath of freshness and bringing that energy to the relationship instead of I breathe a breath of, well, this is going to go the same way it always does, right? Love it. Because yeah. what... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, if we are bracing ourselves and engaging the same energy patterns that we usually do, we unintentionally replicate those same energy patterns. So we don't mean to, but we become part of duplicating the same energy patterns that we ourselves would love to change. Yes. And so we're freeing ourselves when we breathe this breath of freshness. We keep our wisdom, we keep our awareness. So I wanna also be very clear, this is not naive. This is aware, it's wise, it's inspired, it's compassionate. It's opening to the vaster brilliance that we otherwise would not be able to connect with if we instead were sort of like bracing and entering in with those old energy patterns. Yes, because what you want is to operate from your wisdom, not to operate from the walls that brace that barrier that you've put up, right? We're looking to come from the wisdom, not dis discard the wisdom, to, to use it as we go into our interactions. I also, I'm, I'm thinking about how changing energies like on a societal level as well like this this same approach works if you've got you know that family member that you're always arguing with uh on a politics or a religion or whatever it is right you have the opportunity to change that but also on a on a broader scale perhaps I would completely agree. And so a couple of ways to put this is 
if you find yourself either in relation to a family member who has that ability to like quirk their eyebrow and put you into a state of reactivity, or you have the ability to look at news headlines and encounter whoever it is that has the ability to put you in that state of reactivity, to go deeper, to go deeper, deeper than all human reactivity, there is unconditional love, there is unconditional light. And so each of us is invited always, if we have that invitation within ourselves to react or to feel attachment or to feel anger, I open to unconditional love. I open to unconditional light. I open to inspired wisdom. I open to expanded perspective. I open to uplift myself. I open to uplift this conversation. I open to see beyond what humanly seems possible to my human vision right now. There are so many solutions that I'm not opening to if I'm not feeling solutions. And so I choose to open to those solutions and I choose to connect on the deepest level below judgments, below labels, below fear, or if you prefer the metaphor beyond judgments, beyond labels, mm -hmm. beyond fear. I choose to connect with the light within myself. That helps me connect with the light within others, which shifts the dynamic in the room. All of a sudden now light is speaking to light. The room becomes more filled with light. And you're absolutely right. It's the same thing, like on our airwaves, in our media, in our conversation, like wherever we find ourselves, the more that we do this for ourselves, the more we make it visible that others have the capacity to do this themselves as well. So it can be chosen, can't be imposed on another, but the more that we choose it, the more present, the more available it becomes to everyone that we encounter. Agree. You open the space for other people to step into their light as well. You don't force them into it. You don't pull them into it. You just invite them into it, much like you invite yourself into it. I have one more question. I know we're getting to the end of our time. But I want to talk about attachment and spiritual freedom or spiritual liberation. I think we sometimes think of those as goals. I'm going to get free. I'm going to be spiritually enlightened. And we have this set as a, a goal. And my understanding is the moment you're attached to that as your goal, you're pushing it further away. And so the, the more, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the concept of non-grasping, right? You have to somehow let things go. How do we do that? Um, I mean, they, just a simple question to wrap things up. No, um, but I mean, honestly, like, do we just simply trust the path? Do we trust the next step will, will show itself? How do you, how do you continue with your actions, your, your yoga of action, the Kriya yoga in I mean, we just come from a, such a goal-oriented society. I think sometimes that mental shift is hard, and I was hoping to get a little bit of light on that. That's an extremely well-articulated question. Thank you for the, the question. And I agree. I think we could talk for much longer. But just very briefly, the Bhagavad Gita advises all humans to resist the impulse that arises from attachment and anger. So it's basically saying, as long as you are a human, if the impulse to attachment arises, if the impulse to anger arises, take that breath, breathe through the attachment, breathe through the anger, back into that energy of freedom, back into the energy of peace, the energy of clarity, the energy of awareness. The Bhagavad Gita also says that 
the way that we direct the energy of the mind consistently so that we are always established on freedom, we're always grounded in yoga, is through practice and non-attachment. And so it takes practice mm -hmm. and it also takes a willingness to do the practice regardless of how we feel, regardless of if we seem to be seeing evidence of an outcome. Another piece of advice that the Bhagavad Gita gives, it says that all of the results of our actions belong to the divine. They belong to the whole. They belong to life itself. And so what each of us has control over is the spirit, the energy, the intention with which I am offering my action. And then in that moment, I'm spontaneously free. The freedom is actually already there. As soon as you have clarity, you have awareness, you have um, just a deep knowingness that your intentions are pure, you're offering this for the highest good, and then independent of what the outcomes are in the world, you have already received a spontane spontaneous uprising of joy. You have already been gifted and you have already received just amazing light and such satisfaction intrinsically, not from anything that comes from outside, but from being in that energy of flow and of truth and of freedom and of kindness and of wisdom and of caring and of generosity. Oh, that's so, so very beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I just, I really appreciate it. If people want to know more about your teachings and what you do, uh, your the Awake Yoga Meditation, do you have a website? Yes, so our website is awakeyogameditation.org. Okay. And if you're in the Baltimore, DC, Philly area, anywhere in that geographical neighborhood, you're welcome to come meditate with us in person. We also broadcast our meditations on Zoom and on YouTube. So anyone anywhere is welcome to come meditate with us. And on our website, we have e-courses, we have books, we have podcasts, we have many, many resources. So we invite you to come meditate with us. That and you know what? I'm going to. I'm absolutely going to. Um, thank you so very, very much for your time and your wisdom and bringing your joy and your light to all of us here on the podcast. Uh, I just appreciate you so much, what you're doing in the world and what you're doing here today. Thank you, Sarah. It's an absolute joy to talk with you. And I was going to thank you for your joy and your light. And so just thank you. Thank you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day, and we will talk again soon.